Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody in this room. So we're getting settled in. <laughs> My name is Jenny Seibel. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, and it's so good to be in worship with you this morning. It's been a real gift to be in this room with all of these people um, and worship together, and I hope that it feels like a gift to you. Um, feels like a living room in here, and I hope it feels like a living room at home to you. So we're going to start today by reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Starting in verse 25, we're going to read the parable of the Good Samaritan today. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the man asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when, oops, sorry, I skipped a, a verse. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave, him to, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The man said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful for who you are, for your life, for your death, for your resurrection. Um, and today I am just so grateful for the way that you interacted with people and that these stories are written down so that we can read them and know them and love them and know you, Lord. What a gift it is to read about you like we read about other people that we love. I pray, Lord um, Jesus, that you would help us receive the mind of Christ, your heart, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you give us the grace to become more like Jesus today and this week and throughout our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today, the title of our chapter, we've been in EHS, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, the last few weeks, and today our chapter is titled Becoming an Emotionally Mature Adult, which feels like the moment we've been waiting for, kind of. Um, it's about becoming emotionally mature, and here we are. It's the title of this chapter. So, um, so this feels like kind of an epitome moment, which it really is in this book. It is kind of like this climactic moment. And I remember reading this book for the first time a few years ago and feeling um, pretty good pretty like overwhelmed by the book, but mostly good. And then getting to this chapter and, and being like, oh, this feels, this feels impossible. <laughs> this feels uh, convicting to say the least. So it may feel that way for you. This is the kind of chapter where push comes to shove in a way. Um, so this chapter is about becoming an emotionally mature adult. So what does that mean? 
It means we learn to love other people. This is Pete Scazzaro's answer to what it means to be an emotionally healthy adult because I think it's the same as Jesus' answer. Um, Jesus says that on these two commandments, love God and love people, hang all the law and the prophets. And I think what he was saying by that is that there is this way that our world works, that our bodies work, that our relationships and lives work, that in this shalom, that if we attempt to do these two things, that we will live a life that flourishes. That even Jesus says at the end of this this passage we just read, he says, do this and you will live. There's something about loving God and loving people that brings us into a life in which we were meant to live. And part of that is being healthy in our souls and in our lives and our relationships. So this chapter in general is moving about, moving from a life revolved around ourselves, thinking about things from our perspective. If you know any teenagers, you're like, yes, this is how they think. <laughs> a lot of us are kind of stuck in what Pete calls this like emotional adolescence that we're stuck in this like this teenager place in our souls. And so moving from a life where we determine the value of things by ourselves and our life, we perceive people from how they relate to me or how they can benefit me. That's the adolescent kind of perspective. Um, and today we're going to talk about changing that, what it looks like to actually see people in a different way, um, learning how to see people as our neighbor. So this story begins with the emotional immaturity of the lawyer, which a lawyer is someone who's an expert in God's law in the Bible, um, someone who's very much like Jesus probably, also an expert in God's law. And um, this is a great story for this, this chapter because there is a story kind of within a story that's happening. The bigger story here, what's happening is that Jesus, who's an emotionally healthy person, person, is encountering a man, a lawyer, who is an emotionally unhealthy person, an immature person. He's feeling defensive around Jesus. He's feeling critical. He's feeling, um, I think he's, he seems to just be feeling threatened by who Jesus is. And so the very first thing that we learn in the story is this, this man is trying to trip Jesus up. He's trying to manipulate him and trick him in front of these people, his, his disciples and, and people who are listening. Um, not an emotionally mature person. And then we have Jesus, who is an emotionally mature person and is responding to the man, who is um, talking to this person without feeling threatened at all, without criticism. He, the man even answers the question, and Jesus is like, yeah, you're right, really good job. And that's like where Jesus would have left it. Um, but the man continues on um, trying to, to be sneaky and trip Jesus up, as many people did. Um, so today we're going to talk about that part of the story, but also this, this story that Jesus gives in, as an example for how we should love one another. I think it's really helpful when we're talking about emotional maturity to actually begin with the list of things that are kind of signs of emotional immaturity. I say that not just because I think that's true, but that's what Pete does in this chapter. It kind of begins with a list of things that are helpful signs to know what it looks like. Um, it's hard to diagnose something when you don't have the symptoms, when you can't see and identify the symptoms. So we're going to do that first. And as we do that, I just invite you to maybe close your eyes or however you get into like a thinking posture. And if any of these stands out to you um, or is highlighted kind of in your spirit, I would just encourage you to write those things down. And then maybe throughout this week as you're reading this chapter and thinking about this stuff, um, maybe bring these to the Lord and also to your EHS group would probably be a good idea. So let's look at these signs of emotional immaturity. We get easily bogged down by stress and disappointments. We interpret disagreements as personal offenses. Easily hurt. Complaining, withdrawing, manipulating, taking revenge, becoming sarcastic when we don't get our way. 
have difficulty discussing our needs in a calm, loving way, tend towards defensiveness, threatened by criticism, keeping score, preoccupied with ourselves, critical, judgmental. And I think those are just even a few of the ones that are listed out in, in the book. So if you want to find some more, you can go find some more. Those ones kind of stood out to me. So with those in mind, we're going to look at this story as a model for what emotional maturity looks like. There are kind of three movements or points within this story. So we're going to go kind of one, two, three through those things. First one being an emotionally mature adult works to see other people as holy, not as costs or gains. So I'm going to introduce a concept called the I-Thou concept. This was actually um, a book called I and Thou, written by a man named Martin Buber, who is a Jewish scholar and mystic, and he wrote this book in the 20s. And the whole premise of this book and this idea, kind of through the lens of Pete Scazzaro, is that an emotionally mature relationship, in, in an emotionally mature relationship, both parties are able to see each other not only as separate beings, but holy beings, as people worthy of dignity, the kind of dignity that changes the way that I interact with you on a fundamental level, that there's a holiness in you that changes the way I see you and act around you and toward you. That even in conflict, these two people, an I and a thou, can speak respectfully, can believe the best about each other, can listen empathetically, and even before the conflict ever happens, that there can be this kind of um, inventory of how we are having expectations that are unfair so that we can release those when we come to each other in conflict. All in all, this relationship is one where I can affirm through my actions that you have a unique and separate existence apart from me, that your existence isn't about me or what I can get from you, how I can use you. So the opposite of this is an I-it relationship, that I treat you as a means to an end. I treat you as somehow less than human. And this sounds really cruel when you just kind of say it like that, but we actually do this all the time. If you think about the way that you interact with people at the, uh, at the grocery store with the clerk who's checking you out, it's a very transactional relationship. And we can walk throughout our whole lives without seeing other people as, as not mere mortals, as people who have incredible dignity and holiness to them, that they have things going on in their life, that they're hurting, that they're delighting in things, that they're someone's child or someone's parent. We do this all the time. We do it within our homes, and we do it out in the world. We do it with um, people across political lines. There's always an opportunity to treat someone like an it rather than a thou. The problem with treating people this way is that we often, when we, when we treat people as its, the way I see it is like, it's like a game board of our life, <laughs> that I have this like Jenny's life game board, and everyone that I meet is a piece on that game board, and I can move them around strategically so that I can win, or more, a better way to say it for us probably is so that I can be happy, or I can be satisfied or successful. We look for people in our lives so that we can move them around for our own good. A very very simple and probably not even a good example of this that I'm going to give, which is not a good introduction, but um, this was an eye-opening moment for me that happened a few, a few years ago. I was in seminary, and we had just bought a house, and so my dad and my very much younger brother, he was in middle school at the time, was coming to 
uh, help my husband with the kitchen tile and um, we were replacing it. And so they, I'm like, great, everybody's coming up. We're gonna have a kitchen party. So they come up, everybody gets kind of settled in. My dad starts helping my husband and my little brother sits on the couch with a book. And I was like, cool, I'm gonna go to the library and I'm gonna study. And, um, and everyone was like, okay. And I didn't think anything of it. And when I got back, you know, kind of, <laughs> I realized things had kind of unraveled. And, um, and then it was time for everyone to go home. And, and my very kind husband, Gabe, looked at me and said, that was very transactional, what you did. Um, they were here to help. It would have been really cool if you'd stuck around and chatted and maybe helped. Um, that for me, it was a very transactional experience and I ended up treating them like it's rather than thou's. And that is a very easy thing for me to do. To see a situation and think, how can I live the most efficiently within this situation or this relationship? So that's what it is. It doesn't have to be a sinister thing, even though it is a lot of times. Um, it can be a very simple thing. So in this story, we see the priest and the Levite kind of living out this exact thing, this I-it relationship. They saw that this relationship with this man on the side of the road was going to cost them. They immediately did a cost-benefit analysis as soon as they saw him. They knew it was going to literally cost them because it cost the, the Samaritan money to help this man heal. Um, but also, according to cultural standards, they may have actually had really good reasons as to why they couldn't or shouldn't help the man on the side of the road. They couldn't see past the costs and see a human who was wounded and so they passed him by so the answer to this question who is my neighbor i think jesus would say anyone and also everyone and maybe in particular the people that that you don't want to be your neighbor everyone has dignity and everyone with dignity is your neighbor are we going to treat people that way is the question so point two, emotionally mature adults are able to move towards others in love. So firstly, we're able to see each other through the lens and eyes of love. And secondly, we're able to move towards others in love. One of my most favorite Greek phrases, and I didn't actually study Greek, so I won't try to say it, um, is in this text. And it is the phrase moved with pity. It's a Greek phrase that has more of a, um, a context of guts. So like it would actually be translated was moved in his guts, in his bowels, <laughs> that there um, was this idea that the seat of our affections is actually located in our stomachs. If you've ever had butterflies in your stomach, it's like that thing of like, there's a whole world going on in there that's separate from me. I think a really good way for us to think of it like colloquially is like my heart was broken over this thing, or even like I had a gut reaction. So this Samaritan, what happened when he saw the man on the side of the road, instead of doing a cost-benefit analysis like the other two did, he sees the man on the side of the road and his gut reaction toward him was compassion. And the reason I really love this term is because it's used a lot and it's mostly used with Jesus. Jesus is moved with pity for so many people and like individuals and groups. It's the impetus behind his actions. It's whenever he is moved to act or heal or even feed the 5,000, there is this thing in his guts that gets moved. Jesus has a gut reaction always to injustice, to sickness, to brokenness, to neediness, to sinfulness even. Jesus' gut reaction is to move towards someone with something. 
compassion, healing, food, words of hope. Jesus' gut reaction to negative things or towards emptiness or scarcity is compassion and provision. As I mentioned earlier, there may have been really good reasons as to why the priest and the Levite didn't help the man on the side of the road, that there were these purity laws against touching wounded or dead or bloody things. Um, but also maybe there was just some community standards around it that these guys didn't want, um, want to fail. Or maybe they just were grossed out by the person or maybe they, they thought they were there for a good reason, that they had, were stupid and that's why they were wounded on the side of the road. And this is one of the ways we often fool ourselves into living out an I-it relationship rather than an I-thou relationship. We often think we have really good logical reasons to reduce someone's humanity. Some of us even refer to people as it's in our hearts when we just haven't, they haven't earned our respect yet. It's just how we treat other people until they work their way into a thou. Um, some of us, we, when people have wronged us, we then feel like it's okay for, to treat them as an it rather than a thou when they see issues differently than we do, when they stand for something we don't stand for. We reduce people's humanity because it feels good. It makes us somehow feel more human or more dignified or more right. The call of a Christian is to see past wrong and to take the time to pull back the curtain and actually see a human being. Chris McDaniel spoke to this really beautifully a couple of months ago. Um, after uh, a lot of the Atlanta protests had begun and, and kind of moved into riots and then looting. And what he said was, can we take a moment to look past the thing that's in front of us, the right or wrong, and can we ask, what does it mean instead? Can I ask, is there, is there a meaning behind this? Not is it right or wrong. As people seeking to grow into the likeness of Jesus, we ought to be becoming the kinds of people who have compassionate gut reactions. And I say this to all of you and to myself, that so many times my initial, my gut reaction is a negative one or a critical one. And I want to be the kind of person who's like Jesus when he sees something that's negative or wrong. His first reaction isn't judgment. It's always compassion. And what can I bring to you? So instead of bringing our defensive and angry reactions, here are some helpful questions, hopefully. Instead of asking, are they right or are they wrong? Asking, are they hurting? Can I listen? And what do they need from me? I'll say those again. Instead of asking, are they right or are they wrong? We ask, are they hurting? Can I listen? And what do they need from me? If this is a struggle for you, if you feel like you tend to be a critical or defensive person, these are three really good questions to kind of, you know, keep in your phone and ask yourself throughout the day. Lastly, emotionally mature adults are able to love others well while remaining differentiated and knowing their limits. This is one of my favorite parts of this story because it's just kind of funny um, and illustrates something that feels very modern to me, but I, clearly it's something that is, is like ingrained in the heart of God. Um, the Samaritan helps the man, takes him to the inn, takes care of him, and then he leaves. He has other business he has to go take care of. So he goes away, he takes care of those things, and then he comes back in the end to kind of work the rest of the things out. He knows how to give of himself and also how to maintain himself. 
And what this passage illustrates so beautifully is the radical middle that is emotional maturity, that it isn't a rigid or behavior-driven kind of love, um, but it's also not a wrapped-up-in-each-other kind of love. It doesn't, we, we learn how to love people, and then we don't become totally enwrapped in their lives and lose our sense of self, because then the whole I-it thing happens again when we lose our separateness. For some of us, an emotionally immature and defensive posture is to help. So the same roots of the angry person, the person who can be critical and defensive on the outside, a lot of us have the same roots even when on the outside we tend to be helpful or even appear loving in those ways. Lots of us interpret other people's needs as criticisms of us. And so we become defensive by helping. And this is, this is a hard concept to, because you don't want to question every time you're helping or someone else is helping. And so this is not meant to make our brains explode, but rather to say, am I acting out of a place of defensiveness and am I feeling criticized when I'm able to do these things? So people who are emotionally mature know how to both give of, them, of themselves and maintain themselves. So in closing, what do we what do, we do with all of this? There are, this is a whole other sermon unto itself. How do we love other people? Um, what are practical ways? So kind of firstly, what I feel really compelled to say and just acknowledge is that um, for some of us reading this chapter, reading what it looks like to be an emotionally mature adult and how to actually love people well and not feel defensive, feels like I'm asking you to basically become a coffee table. Um, it feels just as impossible to do that. And that's to say that some of us were, were not given tools to love other people well. We were not given tools how to think of people with dignity. How we literally got to this moment in our life, how we survived was treating other people as, as things that we can get something out of. And I just want to say that Jesus sees you and knows where you came from and how you got to where you are and thinks of you as a thou. And that is why you can now learn to treat other people that way because you've been given a gift of an inheritance with Jesus to be a person who is deeply loved. To learn to see yourself as a thou. So I want to say that first. And to say that some of us feel like this is a, like all of us have gone into battle and a few of us don't have any weapons or any armor is how probably a few of us are feeling. Like I don't have anything to do this well and I feel defenseless almost. And I think others of us feel the kind of opposite of, this, of the same coin, which is like Edward Scissorhands. Like everyone else is very nice and happy and having a wonderful time and I have like scissors for hands and all I'm trying to do is not hurt other people that I'm around that like maybe I'm good somewhere inside but there's this, there's this thing on the outside of me, this shell that keeps me hurting people around me. I say that a little bit joking, but mostly not, because the first time I ever saw that movie, I, I thought, someone has made a movie about what it's like to be me. Um, so some of you may feel one of those two ways, and I just, I just want to acknowledge your feeling that way and say that this is a road, this is a journey we're all on. We all have to learn how to love each other. Um, but just to say that, that this is going to be particularly hard for those of us who are, who are very wounded and, and are learning kind of how to be human after growing up with, with parents who didn't teach us how to love. So that just feels important to say. So what I'll say to all of us, especially to those people, but really to all of us, is that I believe if we're going to be the kinds of people who have compassionate gut reactions rather than defensiveness or feel critical towards each other, is that we are going to have to become really familiar with the emotional life of Jesus. 
And here's what I mean by that. Um, I, I think we actually, all the time, including pastors, maybe especially pastors, make Jesus into an it rather than a thou. That we think of him as maybe less human, and we have this really good reason because he's fully God and fully man, and so anytime we feel like maybe he's not very human, we're like, well, I'm just having a very sovereign view of who he is. Um, but I think that the gift of the incarnation is that we get to sit with that as long as we want and as much as we want, and to think about what it would mean that God would be human and face the same things that we face. So what I think we have to do is begin to really see Jesus as a human being, a person with relationships and emotions, to sit and practice imaginative reading and prayer, Lectio Divina, whatever it looks like for you, to actually sit with Jesus, especially if you think about something like this story and say, instead of just getting right to the Good Samaritan, saying, what, Jesus, what was it like for you to, to be sitting amongst your friends and to have people in that room who, who wanted you to look bad and who wanted to trick you and manipulate you, and you knew it? And why did you respond so kindly? And why didn't you say things like, why didn't you out him? Because he's God, right? So he knew everything about this man and could have shamed him in front of this crowd of people. And it's like, man, we just jabby each other all the time with things like that. So why didn't, why didn't you do that? And really any moment in Jesus's life where he has the opportunity to say something or be defensive or critical and he chooses compassion, something about, something about what makes us angry or negative or defensive always made Jesus compassionate. And so I think Becoming really moral or ethical people isn't the answer to this. This is not how we're going to make change happen or become more loving people. The answer is we spend time with the heart of God lived out in the life of Jesus. So I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't say the answer is read your Bible more. So that's what I'm telling you. Um, but I really believe it. Um, I want to become the kind of person who can make vows out of like my most intimate relationships and like when I'm in the kitchen and we're talking about dishes and I want to make people vows when there are people across political lines from me or people who are protesting or not protesting and I want to make vows out of, of Jesus and I want to be the kind of person who thinks about Jesus on the cross making vows out of the people who crucified him and say like maybe that's something I could do. Maybe that's my inheritance as a Christian. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that those who have spiritual discernment, those who know Jesus, have the mind of Christ, what I prayed in the beginning. And I just want to say that you aren't Edward Scissorhands. That isn't your inheritance. Your inheritance is to have the mind of Christ. And so what we have to do is we have to sit with the life of Christ in order to receive the mind of Christ. So that's what I'm encouraging us to do today and um, forever. <laughs> It's a job that doesn't end. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song. Jesus, we thank you so much for the gift of your life, this story. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the mind of Christ, the heart of God, that you would make us more compassionate that that would be who we are in our bones. That would be our gut reaction, Lord. Make us softer and differentiated. Do the work that only you can do in us, Lord. 
We thank you for seeing us as thou's, as people worthy of the inheritance of Jesus. Continue to bring us in, Lord, further up and further in. It's in your name we pray. Amen.